me to be back with you. The university has also purchased a campus in Israel, in Jerusalem. Uh, Brigham Young is the only university that I am aware of that has a campus in Israel. And so uh, we are the uh, only other university in America that I'm aware of that has a campus in Israel. And so we're going to begin four five-week semesters in Israel, and students will be there uh, for five weeks traveling all over, uh, dealing with geography, archaeology, history, language, many things. And so I'm going to be working some with that. And that leaves us 32 weeks out of the year where we may can make it available for churches where you can go and go uh, less expensive and enjoy the Holy Land. Well, I'm going to ask you to look with me in Psalm 60, verse 8. When I was a student in college and I began to read my Bible, I had a notebook and I knew that God was calling me into the ministry. And I had a section in that notebook called Sermon Titles. And I wasn't being invited to preach, but I just knew that one day God would open doors up and I would read my Bible and sermon titles would come to me. And I read Psalm 60, verse 8, and I'd like to just read the verse first and we'll read the whole chapter later. And the first part of that verse says, Moab is my wash pot. And so that struck me and I wrote in the notebook, Psalm 60, verse 8, Moab is my wash pot. I did not understand what that meant but I filed it in that notebook. And years went by, like making wine, I suppose, and you just put it aside and let the bottle set, and supposedly wine gets better with age. And eventually, and recently, it was this week that the Lord uh, just gave me a sermon on that whole psalm, and it just took years of study and so forth uh, before I was really ready to look at this psalm and comprehend it. And in order to do this sermon, I'm going to have to be very childlike with you. I'm going to have to take something that I did with my preschool girls, and uh, that's going to be a silly thing, but you have to remember they were two to four years old. And Christ said this, sometimes uh, God has perfected praise out of the mouth of babes. Another place he said, unless we become like a little child, we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's not just talking about going to heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of heavens right right here now that a lot of things we don't enter into because we can't become childlike. How many of you would cut me some slack this morning and just try for a few minutes to be like a preschool child? Could you do that with me? And if you will not say, oh, that's silly, Charles, or, or whatever, I promise you God will use that in your life this morning. But I used to take a wash pot, and I would take a rinse bowl, and I would take my girls' little clothes. They were all clean and so forth, and I would, uh, we lived on a street with all little preschool girls, and they would love me to do this. And I would take the clothes, and I would say, watch the clothes in thupadud, with the clothes in wimp water, look so clean, smell so good, and they would just cackle. And then I would do it again. What's the clothing super thud? With the clothing went water. Now hold it up. Look so clean, smell so good. And then I would take a pair of underwear and hold it up, and then they would really cackle. 
And I would say, wash the clothes in super thud, wince the clothes in wince water, look so clean, smell so, mmm, wash the clothes in super thud. <laughs> do it again, do it again. They just loved it. So I want to use that silly illustration. But before we do, let's read Psalms 60. And I'm begin reading the heading. It says, to the chief musician. Set to Lily of the Testimony, a miktam of David, for teaching when he fought against Mesopotamia and Syria of Zopah. The King James up there I'm reading says Aram Naharim or Aram Zobah, that is Mesopotamia and Syria. And Joab returned and killed 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. O God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. Oh, restore us again. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches, for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion. You've given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth that your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manassas is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom... I will cast my shoe. Philistia, shout in triumph because of me. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies. Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God, we will do valiantly. It is he who shall tread down our enemies. Now, how many of you could be humble enough with me and say, you understand why it took me some years to understand some of that? How many of you, some of that just did not make sense? And so I'm going to just give the history of this a little bit. For years, the minimalist who minimized the Bible said there, there was not even a person named King David. And then the archaeologists found in the land of Moab the Moabite stone that mentions King David and lets us know that this passage has indeed come to pass, that they conquered the land of Moab. And David and his kings after him ruled the land of Moab for a season. We know also up in the northern part of Israel, where these kings are mentioned here, there was a stone that is right near this time frame, that also mentions King David. It also lets us know he was a real person. This psalm is a real event. And down in the south, down in Egypt, about this same time that Pharaoh Shishak, on his monument, it mentions King David. And then recently they found King David's palace by Eliot Mazar, a, a female archaeologist who has found Solomon's walls and has found the ne Nehemiah walls. And recently in the town of Gath, where Goliath grew up, they found a pot shard that dates to Goliath's time frame that has Goliath's name on it. Now, we don't know if that's the same Goliath, but isn't that all interesting? A real person, 
a real event, and this is the situation. Israel is a very narrow country. If you could just imagine a very narrow central aisle here, and if you could imagine that God had told Abraham all the way down here from the south along the border of you and Egypt, all the way up to the Euphrates River, I'm going to give you all of this strip of land. And at the time of David, they just controlled a little small piece. And even the small piece they had was in jeopardy because two countries from the north, Aran Naharim and Aran Zobah, were coming up against them and were going to even take the land that they had. And then over to the right, the Ammonites went up against them. The Moabites went against them. To their left, the Philistines were against them. And behind them, the Edomites were against them. It reminds me of that old song, There are clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. I mean, he was pressed in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. That's the historical situation. And so I want to pick up that silly illustration about dirty clothes, super suds, and look so clean and smell so good. And first of all are the dirty clothes. The first five verses, David is saying, God, you are mad with us. We are unclean. What's wrong? And notice the pronouns. He's saying, we, us, our. He becomes totally consumed with what he's going through. And that's what 100% of all of us do. I would like to tell you, when you're going through something, don't be self-consumed, but it's just like water on a duck's back. That's who you are as a human. We get quiet. We begin to think about all that's pressing in on us. How many of you have had more than one thing press in on you at one time? How many of you have noticed that you rarely have one problem? It comes in problems. If you've seen the movie Apollo with Tom Hanks and he calls and makes that famous uh, statement historically, Houston, we have a problem. Well, it's been my experience, Houston, we have problems. They're pressing in on us. And notice the pronoun God. When he refers to God, he's saying, you, you're mad at us. You're angry at us. You, 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 we, 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 we. You notice that, and that's just who we are as human. That's what we're made out of, all the same mud. But notice the cleansing power. Notice the transition that takes place in this psalm when he begins by saying, but God has spoken in his holiness. There is a cleansing power. There is hope in this situation. These clothes don't have to remain the way they are, soiled and problematic. God has a solution for this situation. And then God speaks. And notice how God speaks in this situation. He begins way up in the north and he says, Ephraim is my helmet. He begins to talk about Shechem. Shechem means your shoulders. And then he begins to talk about Gilead over here on the right and, and Manassas over here on the left, the main body. And he says, and Judah is my scepter. And then over here, Moab is my washpot. You're worried about Moab. Moab is just a washpot. That's all it is. 
And what is a wash pot after? Uh, anyways, would you really be upset if your wash pot dropped and broke and cracked? It's probably something hidden in a closet. You don't put it on your china uh, cabinet anyway for all your visitors. I want you to see my wash pot, what I wash my clothes in. No, you don't do that. You hide it away because it's dinged up and dirty and corroded, and it's just something that we just use when we have to use it. And down here in Edom, you're so worried about Edom, that's where I take my shoes and, and throw my shoes down. And over here, you're worried about Philistia. Philistia is going to break out, and revival's going to happen among them, and they're going to shout with joy. Isn't it amazing the way they looked at it and the way God looked at it? And it would astound us at how God looks at your situation completely different than the way we look at it. And finally, notice this. Notice the clean results that happen in this. The very people that were the Philistines, God says a revival is going to break out among them. They're going to shout for joy. Now, who are the Philistines? Do you remember Goliath was a Philistine? Do you remember David confronting him and Goliath saying, Am I a dog that you would come to me with a stick? And Goliath said, Come to me. I'm going to take your flesh and feed it to the birds of the sky and the beast of the field. And he cursed David by his gods. And David said to him, You come to me with a sword and a javelin and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts. And this day I'm going to strike you down and feed your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the field, that all of the earth may know there is a God in Israel. And God is saying, I can cleanse this situation so much that your mortal enemies who worshipped other gods and cursed you by their gods, they are going to shout for joy for what has happened in your life. You talk about stuck in the middle with you, stuck in the world of hurt. God says you are stuck in the middle of me and I am in a world of help for your situation. It's going to look so clean and it's going to smell so good if you'll just let me handle this situation and let me take control of this circumstance. Now, if preaching is speaking between two worlds then I'm going to speak very briefly this morning because that's the first world. That first world has a lot of geography, and I've left out about 80% of the good stuff and the language and all of that thing. I wish I had slides here, and I wish I could take you on a, a time machine and let you go in my brain, and we could just travel in our mind, and I could show you what the countryside looked like. But at the end of the day, it falls neatly into three situations. There's some dirty clothes, there's some super suds, and there's going to be a cleansing that looks so clean and smells so good. Now, I want to ask you this question. What in Sam Hill does that have to do with you? What in the world does that have to do with where you live and I live? So if you've got a pen and a paper I just want to give a brief application this morning. I want us now to speak to your world. 
And then I'm going to step back and let God speak to you and see what God would do in the life of this congregation, in the life of your personal family and situation. Dirty clothes. Have you noticed that you have dirty clothes? How many of you have dirty clothes that you have to wash? I have to admit I have dirty clothes. I take a shower in the morning and I take a shower at night. I I do the best that I know how, but my clothes get soiled and they don't smell all of that good and neither do yours. We're all made out of the same mud. I notice these things get dirty every day and they have to be washed at least once a week. And so I went out and bought me several clothes hampers. And I organized my washroom. And I have a clothes hamper for dark clothes. I have one for white clothes. I have one for towels. And I have one for dry cleaning. And I have all my different cleaning agents up there. And I have a washer. And I have a dryer. And I do the best that I know to do. Now hear this. Your life is such that at your best, your humanity has a a propensity to flesh out. If you are left by yourself, left without the washing of the water of the Word, you will smell bad eventually, spiritually speaking. Uh, Luther, Martin Luther said, if I don't pray for a few days, I notice it. If, If I go several days without prayer, my wife knows it. If I go much longer than that, the whole world knows it. Because we are not meant to be left to ourselves. We left to ourselves are a broken, uh, weak, frail piece of dust. And you may be in a situation today financially where you feel like the compass points are hitting you from the north from the south, from the west, and from the east, and you don't know what to do, God is saying, get your clothes hampers out. Lay it out clearly, Lord. This is what I'm dealing with. It's me here, Lord. It's you here. What am I supposed to do about this situation? And cry out to God. Have you ever felt that God was mad with you? That's what David said. He said, God, I think you're mad with me. And God is really saying in this situation, David, you think I'm mad with you? What I'm about to do is this. I promised your great, 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 great grandpappy Abraham that I was going to give you this land all the way from Egypt all the way up to the north to the great Euphrates River and up to the Tigris, the Naharim. Nahar means river. Naharim means the rivers. And right now you've only got a little track of land. I'm about to multiply ten times what you have right now. You think I'm mad with you, you have no idea what I'm about to do because I'm going to give you the north, the south, and the east, and the west. I'm going to transform your situation beyond your wildest imagination. You might say, there are clowns to the left of me. There's jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. That's all right as long as it's the King of kings and the Lord of lords who holds the heavens and the earth in his mighty matchless hands. Have you ever been like Sam 
Sam lost his job. His wife left him. His dog left him. His children left him. It just seemed like everything was going wrong. His health. He has a car accident. He's thrown out in the middle of the highway. And he looks up to heaven. He says, God, what's wrong? And he hears this voice. Frankly, Sam, there's just something about you that ticks me off. (laughs) Well, I'm glad it's not that way. But we feel that way sometimes. God, are you mad with me? Did I do something wrong? I mean, you can have some humdinger of days and weeks and months and even years sometimes. Dirty clothes. Number two is this. Supersuds. Washing those clothes in supersuds. The Bible compares the scriptures to the washing of the water of the Word of God. What would happen if you didn't take a shower? What would happen if you didn't soap up and use deodorant? You would smell like some of Europe and Russia and places I've traveled at in other parts of the world. Listen, thank God for the United States of America. We do know what deodorant is and soap and water here in America. I was... uh, uh, voted to be the president of our YMCA, and I was so proud to be the chairman of the board and the president of the YMCA. A great honor, and my first responsibility was tell these two guys from the former uh, communist bloc in Europe, you stink, and you are stinking up our weight room. You guys have got to take a shower. This is soap, and this is deodorant. They didn't know anything about it, and it was a very unpleasant meeting because I had to be in their presence as they stunk so bad. <laughs> you, get, you realize there's not much glamour in leadership. You get brought down to the earth real quick. And notice this. God has spoken. Can you say that? God has spoken. God has spoken in His holiness. It's amazing now that as a frail piece of dust proclaims the Word of God, and the Bible speaks of preaching that it's the foolishness of preaching God has chosen. Not foolish preaching, but just the concept itself. God has chosen that moment, for there may be 300 sermons going on right now that the Spirit of God is saying something to Pastor Aaron, something to Charles and Judy, something to Mike, something to Sarah, something to Robert, something to all of you, in a unique fashion at this moment. And how many of you know that God can do more in five minutes than I could do in five hours? I was in Maryland preaching recently, and I heard this story, and it blessed my soul so much. I asked, could I have a picture? And I got a picture of this husband and wife and their daughter because They told their story, and it's an amazing story. She got pregnant and had a miscarriage. She got pregnant a second time, had a miscarriage. She got pregnant a third time, had a miscarriage. She got pregnant for the fourth time and had a miscarriage. She got pregnant a fifth time and had a miscarriage. But the sixth time when she got pregnant, a woman of God came to her Because God had given this woman a word for this mother. And the word was from the book of Psalms that this child will be like the scripture in the Psalms that says, And you will be planted 
by like a tree by the rivers of water. Your leaf will not wither, neither shall it die. In other words, this child will not miscarriage. This child will be planted and will come forth healthy and alive. And true to the word of God from this woman of God, she gave birth to a little girl. She named the little girl Faith. Faith is 21 years old. I have a picture now of her father and her mother and Faith standing by me. I wanted the picture because it inspired me of what God's word in a moment of time can do what no one else can do. And she got pregnant a seventh time, and the seventh time she did not have the word from the Lord, and she miscarried. And I can say this to you, six times without the word of God can miscarriage many things in our life. But with the word of God, God can do more with the word of God than we can ever imagine. God has a word for your situation financially. God has a word from him to you spiritually about your social life, about your future, about your home, about your destiny. And it is a word that God wants to multiply where you are ten times where you are right now. I come to you in the might and the power, not of enticing, eloquent words, but of the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. If you can receive this church, if you can receive it, man of God, woman of God, God can do ten times with your bank account what you can do on your own. Somebody say amen this morning, or if you're not willing to receive it, just lay it up here on the platform. I'll take it home with me the promise of what God was willing to do in your life and just say, I don't believe that, Charles, and I'll just give that promise to you. You can have what God wanted to do in my life. Now reach out and lay hold of that and say, in spite of the dirty clothes that I have this morning, I'm going to take the hamper, I'm going to give them to God and see what God can do with them. I want you to hear this. God maximized certain things and God minimized certain things. The first thing God began to minimize is the enemy. Have you noticed that when you worry most is late at night when you lay down at bed and the lights are out and it's dark and you begin to panic and worry and have anxiety, it's usually in the bright, sunshiny day around 12, 1 o'clock, you don't worry as much. Because you're up and you're about. And God just puts the bright sunshine on this situation and says, David, look, let me, let me explain to you something, son. You think Moab is this big thing over here over on your right? <laughs> Moab is just a wash pot, son. That's all that is. I'm just going to clean up Israel a little bit. And down here in Edom that's coming and, and nipping at your heels and at your little sandals, that's where I just apart my shoes at the end of the day. That's all it is to me. Don't 
don't you worry about it. And he begins to minimize the enemy. And then God begins to maximize his power in that situation. And God says, Ephraim is mine. Shechem is my shoulders. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. The Philistines are mine. The Moabites are mine. The Edomites are mine. Your situation is mine. I'm in control of this situation. Don't you worry because I've got everything under control. I'm going to turn this situation around more than you can ever imagine. Oh, wash those clothes in the super suds and rinse them in the rinse water. And this is the most amazing part of this situation. God says, and Judah, look what Judah, little Judah over here. Judah holds the scepter. That meant that Judah was the lawgiver. And the prophets had prophesied in the scripture, the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. What that means is this. As long as Judah has the right and authority of capital punishment and lawgiver, the Messiah will not will come. That'll be a sign to you. As long as Judah has that authority, the Messiah will come. And so throughout all the long history of Israel, even the 400 years when they were in Egypt, they had the right, if need be, to execute the criminals. Israel had that right. The Egyptians gave it to them. The Assyrians gave it to them. The Babylonians who ruled them gave it to them. The Persians who ruled them gave it to them. The Greeks gave them the authority to execute who they chose. Even the Romans in 63 B.C. when uh, the Roman general Pompey came through Israel and conquered it, the Romans allowed for a number of decades the Israelites to make their own decisions about capital punishment. But I want you to hear this. Around A.D. 12 or A.D. 13, the Romans, who throughout the rest of the empire, took away that right and said only Rome can make the decision on capital punishment, told the Jews... We are removing the scepter from you. It belongs to the Roman Empire now. You do no, long, no longer can you execute criminals without Roman approval. And history records this. I want you to hear this. History records that the rabbis wept in Jerusalem and said the scepter has departed from Judah. Woe be unto us and Shiloh has not come. Little did they know, church, that growing up in an obscure village in Nazareth was one named Jesus, salvation, and he had already come. And I'm saying this to you, the cleansing power doesn't lie with a man. No wonder that David says here, the help of man is in vain. We can't do it in our own power. And what you can't do in your own power, Jesus of Nazareth can do for you. He has done what no man can do. You can't be holy enough. You can't be good enough. You can't be righteous enough. But it is Christ in you who is the hope of glory. 
And listen to what he does with these pronouns. He takes the pronoun us and we. He takes the pronoun of God where they were once separate. He combines them now. And now he says, through our God, we shall do valiantly. Through our God, we shall do valiantly. It is because of the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. It is because of the power of the living God that we can do abundantly things. I'm stuck right in the middle with Christ to the left of me, the Holy Ghost to the right of me, and God the Father right in the middle saying all things are possible to him who believes. I want you to think about this. What if God multiplied you financially, spiritually, motivationally, impact-wise ten times? I'm saying this to you, that is nothing to our God because the Moabites that you are dealing with are nothing but a wash pot to God and Edom is just a place for his sandals. God is about to extend your borders to the north, to the south, to the east and to the west, and all things are possible to him who believes. Can you say amen this morning? I don't know about you, but I'm going to preach myself happy this morning. If you don't believe it, I believe it because I can tell you this. I have had the enemy come on my north, my south, and my east, and my west. I'm here to tell you there is a God, and if God be for you, who can be against you? Can you say amen? Can you stand to your feet this morning and let's give God a praise offering and a worship offering. Can you just, just reach down deep into the pit of your inner being and say whatever you're facing, God is bigger than what you're facing. If you've got marital problems this morning, health problems, financial problems, if you're wanting to call God and say, Houston, I got a problem, that's okay. But I want you to see that our God is bigger than that problem. Amen. And I want you to take these two hands that are the symbols, like symbols that you clap your hands, all you people, and you shout unto God with the voice of triumph. He said, Philistia revival is going to break out in Philistia. This old stubborn, stiff-necked group of people when they saw how God extended the word that God gave to Abraham, how God defeated the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Edomites to the south, and they saw it was impossible, the Philistines, who had resisted the word of God, began to come into the kingdom of God and shout with the voice of triumph. You've got some Philistine areas in your own life that are stubborn. And God is wanting them to shout in triumph because God is about to multiply you tenfold. Tenfold. Tenfold financially. Tenfold spiritually. Pastor, I want to say this to you. God is about to stretch you. And stretch this church with joy, not with turmoil, not with trial, not with persecution and 
anxiety, but he's about to stretch you with the smile of God on your face because you're going to see God multiply you ten times and this church ten times and your environment ten times. Y'all look like you just are hearing make-believe stuff this morning. I'm telling you, God can do it. God can do it. God can do it. God can do it. I'm one that He's done it with. I know He can do it. So I want you to close your eyes now. We have heard between the first ancient world. But you've got to go now into your second world, right where you live. I've preached between these two worlds, but God has got to speak to you this morning and put the praise of God within you and put the shout of God within you this morning.